Well, good morning to all of you, and uh, good to see all you again. As I mentioned in the uh, the post yesterday, so that uh, the as I sent out the sermon uh, handouts, I'm very excited about this because that, uh, this is a quite a interesting experience that we got, we're going to come across today. And uh, what I'm going to do is that uh, uh, let's get Stephen to hand out the the notes first. And we'll go through the handouts together before, to, to familiarize yourself before I, I start. So that, uh, you, you know, when I, when I start the, the, the lesson, uh, you will be able to follow along with, with the notes. Uh, so you know where, where you're heading and what you're looking at. Okay? So, uh... <laughs> yeah, there'll be a quiz after that. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I was just having some problems with my printer. Uh, so the, the, the edge of the, of the printer is faded away so in the end I I had uh, I thought I thought about it I think I, sw- I, sw- I switched over to my color printer and used the color printer to print this so that it comes out in color and it's clearer so which I'm very pleased with the results uh, just in time that uh, my, my my yellow toner ran out <laughs> so uh, I, I'm really pleased that at least that we, we managed to to get this done okay you if you look at the notes itself the handouts that uh, they are there are four pages isn't it so uh, printed on, on, on both sides so the first page basically gives you, uh, you can see all the green highlights on it, A1 all the way down to A11, okay? So these are just the passages that's related to what you will see very shortly, okay? A1 to A11, and then when you look at page 2 behind, next to it, next to it, uh, you will see the, in the blue highlighted ones that starts with the alphabet B, B1 to B5, okay? Again, the, again it's on the chart itself, which will follow the, uh, the order. Okay, we will go by according to the order of the of, of, of as indicated there. So on page three of the notes, you see a table. Okay, so on the table you can see those green highlights and the blue highlights, uh, uh, you know, in the respective places. So what what you can see is that on top of the left hand corner of the table you see the name Jehoshaphat. Okay, uh, Jehoshaphat. Uh, then then you see that, that there are numbers 16, 17, 18, all the way to twenty six. And then underneath it, you see 15 all the way to 25, isn't it? Okay, so uh, basically that those, those numbers 16 to 26, 15 to 25, they are not uh, local numbers, but rather that they are just the indication of the years of his reign. Because I didn't start from the beginning because that, uh, the text today some started somewhere around the 16th year of Joshua, okay? So it goes all the way to about year 25. At the end of it is basically that the year that he died. So underneath it, you can see at number 25, you can see that the green highlighted A1. So that is the point where Jehoshaphat died. Okay, this is how you look at it. Okay, this is how you follow the notes. Once you have seen A1, then you look for A2, which is down in the middle. The fifth year. J-I, fifth year. So again, that, uh, that, that fifth year means that the fifth year of the reign of Jehoshaphat, sorry, not uh, Jehoshaphat, uh, of, uh, uh, of Jehoram of the king of Israel. I'll explain it very, very shortly, okay? So that is the fifth year, that's A2. And then we will then later move on to A3 that goes to the top left hand, A3. That's where uh, Ahaziah, king of Israel, started to reign. So, and the, the arrow that points up to number 17 indicates the year of Jehoshaphat when Ahaziah became king in Israel. Okay, so this is how we follow, how we follow it. And then you go down to A4 next to it on the right side. That we know that the Bible tells us later on that Ahaziah reigned two years in Israel. So that's the second year, which I'll explain later. Uh, that is the second year, so it indicated the A4. And then A5 tells you the year where Jehoshaphat, king of Israel, became king, which the arrow goes up to number 18, which shows you that he became king in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat. Okay? And then you go to A6. A6 is the arrow that goes all the way to the, to the right of end of the box, number 12. That's the 12th year. That means that King, Jehosh, uh, King Jehoram of Israel reigned 12 years. That shows the, the range of his, of his reign as king of Israel. That's the year where he died, uh, the, the 12th year of his reign. And then you go down to 11, A11, which is towards the right side at the bottom. That's where the, the fifth year, as you can see, the fifth year of King Jehoram of Israel, where Jehoram of Judah, who was the son of Jehoshaphat, became king. Okay, and then he reigned eight years. The arrow, the blue arrow to the right, tells you that that's the eighth year that he died. So this is how you look at the chart. 
Okay? So you familiarize yourself with the chart and then as, as we go along. Of course then the final page of your handout uh, contains verses on the, the application of the lesson itself, which we will be looking at as well. Okay? So uh, at least it helps you in the sense that uh, you do not have to open your Bibles and then refer to the passages in the beginning because I quoted the passages out for you on A1 to A11. So you know that uh, what are the passages I'm talking about. So this is how this note works. Alright? So it took me about three years to, I'm uh, not three years, three weeks, basically about three weeks to finalize and come up with this, this notes uh, which I'm very excited about today. Okay, let's begin now. So uh, that is where you familiarize yourself with the notes there. So we're going to continue today by looking at King Jehoram. So we have seen already that the previously how uh, King Jehoshaphat was a godly king. We know that. Uh, that how godly he was, that he was faithful to God. But he was faithful, but that doesn't mean that he was sinless, isn't it? He has his own sin, he has his own weaknesses and his own faults. So, but he tried his best. So that's what we have seen so far. And one of the things about King Jehoshaphat we know was that he was very close to the northern kingdom of Israel, remember? Yeah, King Ahab. So he was very close to King Ahab. And he even, he even got his son to marry Ahab's daughter, Atalia. Yeah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. So we, should, we will also see uh, the, the, the story later on as well. I think this was where the problem comes when Ahab decided to have this political marriage between his son Jehoram and Atalia, the daughter of Ahab. Now we, we're gonna, we're gonna see about, we are about to see the consequence of that marriage. Okay? So we know that uh, from the last lesson that Jehoshaphat died, uh, you know, and so his successor, as the Bible tells us, was the, by the name of Jehoram. The word Jehoram means uh, Jehovah or God is high. So a very appropriate name for Jehoshaphat to name his son Jehoram. God is high or Jehovah is high. Uh, because the Jehoram, I mean Jehoshaphat was a very godly man. So he had high aspirations for his son. But sadly we will see very shortly as well uh, you know, in the lessons to come that Jehoram wasn't that faithful. And God wasn't very high on his life list as well. And uh, we will see that it leads to the tragic end towards his, his life and his reign uh, later on. So today what we're going to do is that we're going to focus on the timeline. Okay, the timeline, what I mean is that the, 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 the passages in the Old Testament that refers to Jehoram's reign as king. When he started reigning. That is the focus. When did Jehoshua become king? So that's what we're going to focus on today. So there's a lot of confusion over it. That's why it took me about three weeks to, to really think through and work through the lessons and prepare the notes for you. Uh, because of that, there's so much confusion over it. I started reading the commentaries and the commentators have all sorts of views. So I thought, ah, I'm just so tired of the commentaries. So I put it aside and started, I better sit down and work it on my own. So this is what my best efforts is today for you uh, as I, I self-present this lesson to you today. But before we start looking at the timeline of Jehoshaphat of Judah, uh, I want to make it clear to you here, bear this in mind, okay, that during this period of time, there, were, there are two names that, that, uh, that comes out very often, which can confuse us. The names Jehoram and Ahaziah. Because that the northern kingdom of Israel has has their Jehoram and Ahaziah. So does the southern kingdom of Judah also has Jehoram and Ahaziah. So people who read the Bible, you're not careful with it. You, you get confused over this. Who is this Jehoram? Is it north or south? Who is this Ahaziah? Is it north or south? So you can, you can be quite confusing. So I thought I'd highlight this to you first. Be aware that uh, Jehoram and Ahaziah, they, these were the two common names in this period of time. So for simplicity's sake, what I've done is that I actually use abbreviations to make it easier. So for Ahaziah of Israel, I, I have used the, indication, uh, the abbreviation AI. Okay? So when you see the word I behind it, that means it's Israel. Okay? A is Ahaziah. And for Jehoram of Israel, I use J-I. And this is the order. When you look at the northern kingdom of Israel, Ahaziah, that's A-I, started to reign first. Then his brother J.I. took over. This is the order. Okay? But when you come down to the southern kingdom of Judah, 
the Jehoram of Judah, I call him JJ. And his son, Ahaziah, I call him AJ. Okay? So, in the southern kingdom, order, uh, in the southern kingdom of Judah, the order of reign is reversed. JJ came first. He died. Then AJ, his son, took over. Okay? Right? AI is brother to JI. JJ is the father of AJ. So that's the difference. That's why that you guys, we have to be very... Uh, I just want to make this clear first so that uh, we understand uh, where we are looking at. Okay, now let's look at the... We start looking at the timeline. When did JJ, that is Jehoram of Judah, begin to reign uh, in Judah? So according to 2 Chronicles 21 verse 1, the Bible tells us that, that Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Jehoram, that's JJ, his son, reigned in his place. So when you look at the working of the timeline of, the, of, of JJ, as the next king after his father Jehoshaphat, the most natural way that we think is that, if you think about this, okay, who is going to be the next king of Judah? The most natural way of thinking when you look at this verse is that, ah, Jehoshaphat died, his son took over, yeah? Okay? So Jehoshaphat died, the father took over, uh, the son took over. So that's the most natural way of thinking, succession, as you call it, isn't it? You know, it's like, uh, you know, uh, if a king dies, like Queen Elizabeth in this country, for example, when, 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 the, when the king, was it King George, is it? The father died and then the daughter took to the throne. So you have succession, isn't it? So that's the most natural way of thinking. So let's begin working on the assumption that uh, Jehoshaphat died, then JJ came to become the next king for the very first time. Succession, okay? Think in terms of that first. But you see, when it comes to the Bible, the kings of the Bible, things are very different. Of course, the, the natural way of thinking of succession of the son taking over from the father on the throne is the most natural way for us to think about. But when it comes to the Bible kings, things were very different. There were some occasions where there was this practice called co-regency. Co-regency means that there were two kings sitting on the throne at the same time. Okay? So it's, it's not like the normal ways that the, the father died, the son took over. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes you come across in the Bible where you have co-regents sitting on the throne at the same time. Father and son sitting at the same time. You see? Or brothers sitting at the same time as king. A good example of it is that we see in 1 Kings, uh, 1 Kings 1, uh, 9, 39 to uh, 39. I'll read it to you, yeah? This is concerning David and Solomon. Okay? So the scripture says, Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the horn, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. Yeah? This is King Solomon. And then verse 47 of the same chapter says, then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our Lord, King David, has made Solomon king. So two kings were being mentioned. And then verse 47 said, And moreover, the king's servant, as David's servant, have gone to bless our Lord, King David. So he was talking about King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he take his throne greater than your throne. Then the king, that's David, bowed himself on the bed. So here we find a story, if you remember the story, isn't it? David was very, very elderly and very frail in bed. He wasn't, he wasn't dead yet. And then Adonijah, remember his, other, his oldest surviving son, thought that, okay, my father is very old. Since I'm the oldest son in the family, I will assume the kingship. Remember that he was celebrating with his friends uh, you know, as the new king. Of Israel, this was time that it prompted Nathan the prophet to actually talk to the tip of David of this problem of Adonijah trying to declare himself as king of Israel, and this led to David anointing Solomon as the king. So that's the storyline. So if you remember at the time when Solomon was proclaimed king of Israel, David, according to the writer of the Bible, he was still king of Israel. So this is an example of what co-regency is. Okay. Father, son on the throne as kings at the same time. So this is something we need to bear in mind. Co-regency. Okay? 
Co-origin concept is very different from what we think, that father dies, son succeeds. Yeah, father dies, the succession method is common. There's also the method of co-regency, okay? We do bear that in mind. Also that when I first started uh, the, 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 the counting the years of kings, you remember from one of the previous sermons before, that Israel and Judah, they count time and years of kings very differently. You see? For Israel, they use what they call a non-extension year. What it means is quite simple. For the northern kingdom of Israel, the way they count the number of years the king reigns is that the moment the king sits on the throne, yeah? Once the king sits on the throne, that is the first year. You see? And then when the new year comes for the next year, the moment the new year comes for the next year, to them, to Israel, it will be the second year. For us, it's different, isn't it? We count years in terms of 12 months. So anything that happens within the 12 months is not one year yet. Until you hit 12 months, then it's one year. But Israel counts it differently. The moment is the king sits on the throne, day one becomes year one. But for Judah, Judah is very different. Judah counts the king's first year on the New Year's Day, on the next year. So for example, that if the king, uh, let's say if Brian becomes king, okay, in Judah, on the 1st of December, and then on the 1st of January is the New Year, then Brian's first year as king of Judah. That's how they count it. Even though you only, you only, he only sat on a train for 30 days, but because of the extension year, so his first year is the 1st of January, 2021. So that's how it works. So if you look at it this way, that means that Israel's counting is always one year ahead, isn't it? It's always one year ahead of Judah because Judah counts the first year after, but Israel counts it first. That is why that when you look at your table at page three, in Jehoshaphat's year on top of the, on the table, you see the 16, that's Israel, that's Israel's counting. And then below it is Judah's counting is 15. Because Judah is always one year behind. Okay? Behind Israel in terms of the counting of the kings. The king's reign. So bear that in mind. You have the core regency. You have the different counting of years. This is very important to remember this. Uh, as we go along, you'll see why. Okay, so this, uh, these are some of the housekeeping matters that we need to understand. Core regency and the counting of years which we'll be, we'll be applying in the, in, the, in the passages we will be looking at very shortly. So, now let's go to the question. When did JJ, that is Jehoram of Judah, became, became king? When did he start to reign as king of Judah? As I said, logically speaking, we, will, we look at it at the succession way. That means that when Jehoshaphat died, the son becomes king for the first time. If that is the case, then, of course, then uh, we look at A1 on your table. That means that Jehoshaphat was, I mean, JJ will start becoming king from A1 on your table. Isn't it? Year 25. That's our, our way of thinking. But, of course, year 25, remember the different methods of counting? 25th year, according to which counting? Was it Israel's counting? Or was it Judah's counting, because remember the difference in one year. So this is something we need to ask ourselves as well. You see? So if it was 25th year according to Israel's counting, that means Judah being one year behind, Jehoshaphat will have reigned only 24 years according to Judah. Yeah? But if it's Judah's counting of 25 years, Israel's counting will be 26 years total reign. But whatever it is, what we do is that we take it to five first, which are, I think that on the, on the table, I've taken the Judah's way of counting because he was the king of Judah. So let's say the 25 years reign of Jehoshaphat is based on Judah's counting, 25, that means 26 years according to Israel. So we stick with the number 25. Just bear that in mind, okay? All right. So you can see, you, you, will, you will see basically that when it comes to working out when did JJ start to reign, it's, it's quite confusing you see because that uh, for our thinking he started on year 25 a1 on your table but we have an issue because in second kings 8 
verse 16, the scripture says this. Now in the fifth year, you don't have to look at your Bible, you can look at the page one of the notes, uh, it's, it's highlighted for you there, the, the quoted, quoted from uh, the passages there. So the scripture says in 2 Kings 8, 16, now in the fifth year of Jehoram son of Ahab, this is J.I., of king of Israel, Jehoshaphat having been king of Judah, Jehoram the son of Jehoshaphat, that is J.J., began to reign as king of Judah. Alright, we thought that he started reigning at year 25, A1, on the table. But here, Kings tells us that J.J. started to reign during J.I.'s fifth year, that's A2 on your table. There's a difference, isn't it? A, A1 is on there, A2 is before that. So then we did, okay, alright, fifth year of J.I. So when did J.I. become king of Israel? Did he become king of Israel uh, five years before Jehoshaphat's death? So if he became king five years before then, five years, yep, that emits, emits the, the, the line there. But this is where the working out becomes very exciting. To me, it becomes very exciting. Okay, first of all, we, we know that when you look at J.I. first, Jehoram of Israel, yeah? Let's look at him first. Because we know fifth year of his reign. So when did he start reigning? So we know from the Bible that J.I. became king after A.I., that's Ahaziah, son of Ahab, died. Remember Ahaziah, A.I.? He was the one who fell from the lattice of his house. Yeah, he fell from the, from the roof and then he hurt himself. He, re he refused to, to seek God and he died on his second year. So we, we, know, we know that A.I. Uh, sat on the throne two years. And 1 Kings 22, verse 51, tells us when A.I. started reigning. So the scripture says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat. And he reigned two years. So we have a starting timeline for A.I. So he became king, according to the Bible, on the 17th year. That you can see from your table, A3. The arrow goes up, points to uh, Jehoshaphat's 17th year. So that's where AI started. And I've taken the counting of AI based on Israel's counting. Remember Israel's counting? The king sits on the throne, that is first year. Yeah? So the new year comes, his second year. So I've taken it to, to mean that. So that means that two years for AI would be Jehoshaphat's 18th year, isn't it? 17th year is the year, first year, 18th year is the second year, then he, AI died on the second year. That is a, that is a, a, is it A3, is it? A4, that's right, yeah, A4. A4 of, 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 your, of your table there. So based on Israel's count. So now we know exactly when AI died, on the 18th year. So that means that JI sat on the throne after AI died. You see? So that will be 18th year of Jehoshaphat. And this is consistent because 2 Kings uh, 3 tells us that as well. That J.I. became king during Jehoshaphat's 18th year. So the figures tallies. 17th year, A.I. reigned. Second year, 18th year, A.I. died. And J.I. took over. So the scripture was spot on here, on, on this point. And then the scripture tells us that uh, J.I. reigned about 12 years. From there, so that's what you can see on your table A4. Uh, on your table, sorry, uh, A6 on your table, yeah, A6 on the table, you can count that 12 years all the, all the way to, to uh, on, on the table for you. I've counted it for you. Okay, so that is very consistent there. So, okay, so now we know that 2 Kings 8 tells us JJ became king in Judah during JI's fifth year. That's on A2 on your table. So that means that we, we know exactly, and we know exactly when J.I. become king as well. That was during Jehoshaphat's 18th year. So all you need to do is that from the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, you add five years. Is that? Plus 18 plus five, that gives you the fifth year of J.I. And if you count five years from the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, that will take you to about 20, the 22nd year in Israel, Israel's counting on your table there, A9. You can see A9. According to Israel's counting, 
will be the 22nd year of Jehoshaphat or the 21st, 21st year by Judah's counting. That's on A9. All right. This is interesting. So since the king tells us that JJ became king over Judah during J.I.'s fifth year, which was actually Jehoshaphat's 21st or 22nd year, that means that he became king before Jehoshaphat died, isn't it? Jehoshaphat died year 25. But the Bible tells us that 20, year 21 or 22, J.J., his son, became king. So that means that our thinking of the normal succession method that is the, father, the son succeeding from the father after he died does not really work here. It doesn't really work. It creates problems. So we have to, we have to think of some other ways of resolving this problem. So you have got JJ becoming king when his father was still alive. That was in the 21st and 22nd year. So how do we account for that? But this is not the only problem. 2 Kings 1 has some other ideas. 2 Kings 1.17 tells us that so Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord which Elijah had spoken, that's, J, that's AI, because he had no son, so Jehoram, that's J.I., became king in his place. When did J.I. become king in his place? In the second year of Jehoram, that's J.J., son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. <laughs> so you, we have another problem here. So it tells us that when J.I. took over the throne in Israel from A.I., which we know, 18th year of Jehoshaphat, that was A5, J.J. was already sitting on the throne for two years in Judah. Okay, we scratch our heads. I thought that he sat on the throne in the 21st, 22nd year of Jehoshaphat. But how come that this passage is telling us that he sat on the throne for two years on the 18th year of Jehoshaphat? That's another four years back. So, if you take 18 year minus 2, that means that JJ sat on the throne in Judah during Jehoshaphat's 16th year. You got 16 year, you got 21 year, you got 25 years. So we got three different dates. How do we, how do we deal with this problem? You see, when you look at A7 of, of your table, you see that is the that is the 16th year. When you look at A8, that was the, 20, the 21st year. Sorry, uh, the A, A, A9. A9 and A9, that is the 21st year. And then, of course, you've got the A1, which is the 25th year counting, which is the son-father-son uh, son, succession method. So we've got three different dates pertaining to JJ sitting on the throne as king of Judah. So how do we reconcile this problem? So there are three possible ways to, to look at it. Yeah? Number one, the Bible is wrong. Do we agree that? Can we agree on that? No. The Bible is God's word. God cannot be wrong, is it? So this is out the window. Number two, perhaps that the copies, the one who copied the ancient manuscripts got mixed up. Is it possible? It is possible. Some commentators say copies mistake. But the problem is that if we say it was a copy's mistake, that question whether God could actually providentially preserve his, his, uh, his writings to be error-free, it questions God's ability to protect his word from error. You have a problem. Or maybe the third possible way is that all the three dates are correct. <laughs> Isn't it? It's possible. I think that this is the only way, that this is the only option we have. To, 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 to actually to take it as the three days were all correct. Okay, fine, it's easier said than done. So if all the three dates are all correct concerning JJ's uh, reign become king, how do we resolve the difference? You are 16 years, 22 years, and 25 years. So how do we resolve the di difference to make all of them agree and, and they're all correct? So this is where, remember in the beginning I talked about co-regency? Father, son can sit on the same the throne as kings at the same time, yeah, and also the different methods of counting between Israel and Judah, the way of counting. So this this uh, we we so far we have been looking at the second point about the way the years are counted. 
it's about time for us to think about co-regency. You see? So I think that one of the ways to resolve this problem, it could be due to co-regency. That means Jehoshaphat and JJ, his son, they were on the throne at the same time at certain aspects of it. Okay? So this is, this is, only, uh, this is one of the ways we can resolve this. Okay, let's try to attempt to resolve this first. Let's look at the, on the table A8 first. The, re the mention of uh, you know, JJ being uh, king over Judah when J.I. sat on the throne. That was A7, on, that is based on 2 Kings 117. 2 Kings 117 says that when J.I. sat on the throne in Israel, J.J. was already two years. In, uh, it was into his second year. You know, uh, okay, second year. The second year that 2 Kings 117 talks about must have referred to some sort of reign, isn't it? JJ's reign. Yes, his second year. Is it, was it as king or something else? That's not the point. But second year as something in, in, in Judah. But the Bible doesn't tell us second year of what? What was that second year of JJ? So we had to figure out. One of the ways to resolve this difficulty, uh, as I propose, is this. We may have to see the second year of JJ as his reign either as a co-region with his father sitting in a throne together as king or perhaps that is the second year of JJ as the crown prince okay you know kings appoint crown prince isn't it like prince charles is the crown prince of queen elizabeth you see so it could be that JJ was a crown prince at the time or he could be a co-regent at the time. So this is one possible way of explaining it. Okay? But I, I, the way I, I looked at it is this. That, uh, I think that the second year that the king talks about was more likely to be that, not as co-regent, but as crown prince. The, I think it's the second year of JJ as crown prince. Uh, that, that is the, that's the reason we will see very shortly what it means by that. A co-regent means that you are king as much as the other king. You see? Yeah, the other king cannot remove you as on the throne. Neither can you remove the other king. Co-regents are equal power. Okay? But the crown prince is different, isn't it? Because the crown prince is not a king. So that can change. Like Charles, Prince Charles, for example. Then. There's been a lot of talk, isn't it? Although that Prince Charles is a crown prince, you know, uh, there might be a chance that Prince William might take over and become King of, Israel, uh, of England, isn't it? So uh, the crown prince position is a temporal appointment. Important but temporal, you see? So I, I understand this as JJ being the crown prince. Uh, why? Why, why? Why do I say that? Uh, when you look at 2 Kings 1, uh, 17 carefully, this is what 2 Kings 1, 17 says. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord which Elijah has spoke, had spoken. Because he had no son, Jehoram, that's J.I., became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. If you notice how the writer writes, in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Alright, king of Judah. Alright, we know that during J.J.'s second year, Jehoshaphat was still alive, isn't it? Because that was the 18th year of his reign. He still had about seven years to go before he died. So Jehoshaphat was still king over Judah. So when the kings here say that in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, who was this king of Judah referring to? Was he talking about Jehoshaphat? Or was he talking about Jehoram? Or was he talking about both Jehoshaphat and Jehoram, kings of Judah? Yeah, there's two, three, three possible ways, isn't it? Refer to the father, refer to the son, or refer to both. So, my, my, my take on this is that uh, the king of Judah was actually a reference not to JJ, but to Jehoshaphat, his father. Uh, for, I think that for the obvious reason, number one, is because that Jehoshaphat was new king. But of course, that doesn't rule out co-regency, the possibility of co-regency. But I, I think that the co-regency can be ruled out, which, uh, which I will explain very shortly why. I think that Jehoshua, uh, JJ, at this time, he was the crown prince. That means that, in other words, that it's the second year of Jeho Jehoram as crown prince 
being the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. I think this is how you can read it. That's my proposal, but you see why I, why, why I take the crown prince position, which I will explain here. The reason why I've taken the crown prince theory is because that, uh, it fits very well with the historical context of JJ's reign, which you will see why, you see. As I said before, crown prince is temporal position. It, he can be removed, you see. And uh, when you look at the counting of JJ's reign, later on we will see very shortly, the count of JJ's reign did not start from Jehoshaphat's 16th year. The writer just talked about the second year and then he stopped talking about it. When he started again later on, he then he started counting the, the, the reign of JJ, which was eight years. You can see on your table as well. So this, this is when, I think this is one of those indicators that the writer's view of JJ's position at that time was that he was a crown prince. Uh, that he wasn't the co-regent or king during that 16th year. Okay? So that's, that's, that's the theory. Is this theory reasonable? I think it is because it, uh, it actually can be supported from 2 Chronicles 21 uh, verses 1 down to verse 5 where Chronicles says this, And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Jehoram his son reigned in his place. This is 25 years the son took over. And then verse 2 carries on that it says, He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, uh, Azariah, Jehel, Zechariah, Azariahu, Michael, Sephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat king of Israel. Then verse 3 says, Their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and precious things with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. So now when Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and killed all his brothers with the sword and also others of the princes of Israel. So Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned 8 years. So here he tells us Jehoram reigned 8 years. So you know how long JJ was a king over Judah. Yes, when you look at the passage here, that although the writer refers to JJ being king in succession of Jehoshaphat when he died, in, that was in verse 1, and verse 5 also tells us that he reigned a total of 8 years. Okay? And in between those, that's, this, those two verses, it talks about his brothers being given gifts isn't it, of cities, and then JJ killed his brothers. Okay, in between that. So, this is where that we have an issue. If we were to place this entire passage in 2 Chronicles 21 at year 25, that is on A1 on your chart, if we put it there, you count 8 years of rain from there. If you look at the table, starting from A1, you count 8 years. You will notice that, I haven't put it on the table, you will notice that the 8 years will go out of this page. You see? That means that when, by the time Jehoshaphat, I mean, by the time Jehoram, JJ died after his 8 year reign, It'll be out of this page. Okay? So this is where it creates problems by putting this passage in 2 Chronicles 21 at the eight years. Which means that he said he succeeded his father, he killed his brothers, you know, and then he reigned eight years. It, it creates problems because that the eight years is out of this page. So in that case, where should we place the the, the verses two to four in between? The gifting of the brothers with the cities and the killing of his brothers. Where, where should this, 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 this event, these two events be placed? So my proposal is this. Because of the difficulty of putting these events at year 25 of Jehoshaphat, somehow that these two events had to be taken out and placed it somewhere before in order to make sense of things, you see. And I think that uh, this could be placed in the 16th year of Jehoram. Uh, Jehoshaphat, that is actually A8 on your table. That's, that's, the, that's the, 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 the earliest date where the Crown Prince reference was. When you look at A8, it goes up there and you see there's the box that says that, uh, that Jehoram went to Ramoth Gilead with Ahab. So this was a period of time when, remember that Jehoshaphat was allied with, with Israel and he went to fight the Syrians at Ramoth Gilead. So perhaps that this, this 
these events took place somewhere around then, around that period of time when, where the scripture says that before Jehoshaphat, uh, this is how I read it, the message, before Jehoshaphat went to Ramoth Gilead to fight in the battle, you know when you go to the battle, the risk is what? What are the risks in the battle? Anybody? You get killed, eh? So Jehoshaphat knew that if he goes to, goes to a battle, he, will get, he might get killed. So as a result of that, he had to do something to protect his kingdom's security of the throne, succession throne. So this is where that my crown prince theory comes in. Perhaps that this was a time when he, uh, he, uh, he appointed Jehoran, JJ, his firstborn, as the crown prince. And, he, and Second Chronicles tells you, isn't it, that he, Jehoshaphat gave gifts to his sons, precious things, plus fortified cities. But the kingdom, he gave it to his firstborn, JJ. So, I think that this was the reason why that uh, I, 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 I referred these passages to year 16, when he, before he went to Ram of Gilead, it's because that being a king who is sensible, you know that the risk of a battle, that you're better off resolving these political problems in the future, in case you die, isn't it? So he resolved it in this way. In the meantime, temporarily, appoint Joho, uh, JJ as uh, the crown prince, and then he gives the uh, other gifts to his sons to make them happy as well. So everybody is happy before he left for the battle. The sons got all the gifts and the fortified cities. That the crown prince was, was there, his firstborn. So this makes a lot of sense. You see, this makes a lot of sense to me. And when you look at what the writer of the Chronicles says in verse 4, 2 Chronicles 21 verse 4, that the writer says concerning JJ, that having established over the kingdom of his father. So JJ was given the kingdom, and having established himself over the kingdom of his father, what does it mean by having established himself over the kingdom of his father? I think that what it means was basically that the kingdom was still in Jehoshaphat's hands. JJ, being the crown prince, had only established his position as the crown prince over the kingdom of his father. You see? I think that's what it meant. Okay, then we will ask, we need to ask ourselves a question. Remember co-regency? Why didn't Jehoshaphat appoint JJ as the co-regent, but crown prince, before he went? We know that what happened is that later on he killed his, uh, JJ massacred his brothers. I, I think that basically that uh, Jehoshaphat, in all his wisdom, recognized the fact that although that JJ was his firstborn, the rightful heir to the throne, isn't it, by ancient tradition, maybe that he still had some reservations about his character and suitability. So he said, uh, I have some doubts about his character and suitability. Okay, for the time being, just to make everybody happy, I will place him as the crown prince for the time being. Stand in for me when I go to the battle. Yeah? Alright? And then when I come back, I will deal with this issue later on. But if I don't make it in battle, at least that the problem is resolved. You see, there will be no fights over, over, over who should be the king, the next king. I think that was, that was why that, uh, that he, he did that. Perhaps that Joshua remembered what happened to Adonisia, the son of David. Remember when David was very old, he had no crown prince, he had no successor. Adonisia assumed to be the king and caused a lot of problems. You know, until that Solomon was uh, appointed as king, the problem re was resolved. So maybe that, that was why that Joshua remembered those examples of David. So thought, okay, I don't want to create that kind of problems by not having a successor. And I go to battle, if I get killed, my sons will be killing each other. But, okay, crown prince for the time being, stand in for me while I go, and I come back, I'll deal with this. I think that it explains that. The crown prince theory also makes a lot of sense if you think about this. Remember what Chronicles says, isn't it? When JJ established himself over the kingdom of his father, he killed all his brothers. Why would he kill all his brothers if he was the king, the co-regent? Remember, a co-regent is king. You, you, your position is settled there. You can't be removed. So if, if JJ was made co-regent, the second king in Judah, there was no need for him to kill his brothers because there were no threats to him. You see? Unless he was a crown prince, knowing that because my position as crown prince could change when my father comes back. So that's, that's the reason why perhaps that he killed his brothers so that he clear off all the competition to the throne in the future. You see? The case of Solomon is a classic example of it. Adonijah was the eldest surviving son of King David. 
rightfully that Adonijah should be the king. But what happened? Solomon became king instead. So that shows us that just because you are the firstborn, the eldest sons in the, in the line, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be the next king unless your father makes you the co-regent, really. If he doesn't make you the co-regent, not necessarily you're going to be the king, you know. But the fact is that when Jehoshaphat appointed him as crown prince, tells JJ that my father is still doubting whether I'm suitable. You see? My brothers, any one of them could become the next king if he, if he changed his mind. So to secure my position as the future king, I kill all of them. So there'll be no sons to take over. I'll be by default the, 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 the only one, the only successor. I think that was why that, uh, you know, that uh, JJ killed all his brothers. So this is why the, the crown prince theory is, is quite compelling to me. It makes a lot of sense. And the other thing that also it makes sense to me, that as to the early dates, the date of him giving the cities to his sons at year 16, is because of Second Chronicles 19, verses 4 to 5. Where Second Chronicles 19, this, this, the context of Second Chronicles 19, 4 to 5, uh, relates to after Jehoshaphat came back from the realm of Gilead. Yeah, he came back from the realm of Gilead. We know Ahab died in the realm of Gilead. So he came back from that battle. This was what he, 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 he did after he came back. Second Chronicles 19, verse 4 to 5 says this. So Jehoshaphat dwelt at, at Jerusalem and went, uh, went out again uh, among the people from Bathsheba to the mountain of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. Then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah city by city. So this passage tells us that after Jehoshaphat escaped with his life in Ram of Gilead, which Ahab died there, two, two things Jehoshaphat done. Number one, he tried to bring the people back to God. And number two, he appointed judges in the fortified cities. Okay? City by city. But we thought that the scripture tells us that before he went, he already given the cities to his sons. Isn't it? And the kingdom to his firstborn, JJ. So if his sons were in control of the cities, the fortified cities, why does Jehoshaphat need to appoint judges in those cities? Shouldn't the sons be doing that? Because the sons were the rulers of the cities, they should be administering justice in the city. Why does he need judges for? So if you think about it logically, unless, unless that after Jehoshaphat came back from the battle at Ramah Gilead, JJ had already killed all his sons. So there were vacancies in all these fortified cities without someone administering justice. And that's why the Jehoshaphat coming back realized his sons are all dead in order to prevent uh, you know, confusion and chaos in the cities. So he had to appoint judges in all those cities to look after the cities because his sons were no longer there, all dead. You see? So Jehoshaphat had to come back Call, create, I mean, that clear up all this mess that JJ had done in his absence. The, JJ being an evil man, he would have led the people of Judah away into, into idolatry. That's why the Jehoshaphat had to come back, bring the people back to the Lord, because JJ brought them away. You see? And then, re, and then appoint judges in the cities because he killed all his sons. So this makes sense to me that the reference to the account is to be earlier and not later. This murder of uh, JJ's brothers if we were to place it at the end of uh, after Jehoshaphat died there's another problem the problem pertains to Elijah because the writer tells us that after JJ killed his brothers Elijah sent him a letter you see Elijah sent him a letter rebuking JJ for his uh, for his wickedness that was actually in 2nd Corinthians 21 as well verse 12 where after he killed his brothers, the scripture said, and a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet. You know, with, with, with a rebuke. That is B5 on your, on your table. I refer to the Elijah's letter there. The Elijah's letter creates a problem for some commentators, as I have read through. Because, especially for those commentators who think that the killing of the brothers was actually after Jehoshaphat had died. That's year 25 at A1 on your table. The commentators are puzzled. Okay, if, if, if this event of the murder of the brothers took place after year 25 of Jehoshaphat, after he died, which is further down on the table, 
how did Elijah write this letter? We thought that Elijah already ascended to heaven. Remember Elijah, he, he, his final rebuke was Ai. Ahaziah, when he fell from the lattice of the roof, he refused to seek God. Elijah rebuked Ahaziah for not seeking God, but the Lord, but the, 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 God of, the Lord of Beelzebub. After that, Elijah ascended to heaven. So if the killing of the brothers took place so much later, where did this letter come from? Listen, Elijah wasn't around anymore. So this led to some commentators suggesting that uh, it could be that the letter uh, was actually a posthumous one. In other words, what it means is that Elijah wrote, being a prophet, he foreknew the future. Yeah? So he wrote it down, this letter addressed to JJ, because he really knew what JJ was going to do. He left it with one of the prophets or some of the, some of the prophets, and then he went up to heaven. So when this thing happened, the sons of the prophets delivered this letter to him, a posthumous letter. So that's one view. That's the only way to explain it. Some commentators even went as far as suggesting that, oh, Elijah in heaven saw what happened, got really upset, wrote this letter, and sent it from heaven to, to JJ. But the problem with this kind of imagination of this letter creates a problem because that, uh, the writer if you see, if you read from Second Chronicles twenty-one, verse twelve, the writer does not even suggest that the letter was miraculously de delivered from Elijah. The writer simply says a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet, as if that Elijah wrote the letter and just delivered it. You know, like the day before, like today you posted. Of course, COVID, you, you take a longer time to post, but as if that it, that was what happened. So, but that means that it, this Elijah's letter created a problem for those who think that this. Murder, murder of the brothers took place at the end after Joshua had died it creates a problem so the only sensible way is to put this event on the year 16 the realm of Gilead experience the reason is because that if, he, if JJ killed his brothers during this period of time Elijah was still around on the ground of the earth you see he was still around so it could be that basically that Elijah before he ascended to heaven he heard what happened to, 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 to JJ what he did in Israel, yeah, in Judah, he wrote this letter and got somebody to deliver it before he went to heaven. I think this is a, 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 I think a reasonable explanation there. You see? So uh, this, this is where that, uh, you know, that when you see the timeline fitting together if, if you put it in this, in this manner itself. Okay. As I said before, that uh, the scripture tells us that J.I. reigned eight years. Isn't it? And if the eight years started counting, in the year 16 of Jehoshaphat, it doesn't stretch that far because we know that, uh, sorry, JJ, uh, sorry, yeah, JI, at the end of his, uh, of his reign, he was killed. That's year 12, A11 on your table. On the 12th year, that was the final year of, of JI, of, of, of he was killed with. AJ, that is Ahaziah or Judah, the son of JJ. You see? So the son of JJ, as we know, took over the throne from JJ after he died. So if you put the 16 year in the beginning, you can't reach that far because it's only 8 years. You can't count 8 years and reach to the end. So it messed up the dates. That's why that we have to fix the date at the 5th year of JI, which is the time uh, when, 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 when JJ became king. I mean, okay, this is, this is quite complicated. It took me more than three weeks to, to, to actually come to an understanding of it. So I'm not going to expect you to under understand this in, in one sitting here, okay? But what I'm trying to do is that when my printer recovers, I'm going to print out the, my sermon notes in full and then I'll give it to you. You can take it home and then study it yourself in your own time if that is an interest for you. All right. You, you know, you might be sitting there wondering, asking the question, Sonny, why, 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 why have you spent... An entire sermon, now it's the 55 minutes uh, into the sermon, explaining this timeline arrangement. Why are you telling us all this timeline? Why are you spending time on the timeline? I, I hope that, I, I don't know about you, I, I hope that uh, you, 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 you know, if this interests you, I hope that you have seen that Bible study can be very exciting. It's like a treasure hunt. You know, you go and search for answers. And when, especially when it comes to mind-boggling issues like this, with the JJ's thing, you know, that uh, it, is, it is like working a puzzle, isn't it? 
you have to piece the puzzles together. The Bible, the Bible is given to us by God like a piece of puzzle. That God wants us to assemble it. Take time to assemble it, you see. And I spent three weeks uh, assembling this together. But at the end of it, for me personally, I find that there's great excitement and great satisfaction of it when you, when you have the answers. That, uh, and when you see all these things come together, it, it gives me this great satisfaction in knowing how powerful and accurate God's words is. You know, God's word is so accurate. You see? Confusing, but once you piece them together, it is so accurate. It fits like a hand in glove. And that gives us, that should give us the, the confidence in the integrity of the scriptures. The integrity of the scriptures is very important, you see? And knowing that the scripture is credible, that should actually enhance our faith. That should cause us to realize and understand that the Christian faith can be defended and reasoned even today. We can reason the Bible today. You know, that it shows that Christianity is not a I feel kind of uh, an experiential kind of uh, faith, but rather I know. It's a faith that I know, is it? Like what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. That Paul said that for this reason, I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him that, until that day. To Paul, Paul knew that the faith of Christianity is an I know thing. That personal conviction and confidence in, in, in God and his word. And John, the apostle John added, you know, concerning the implications. What do you mean by I know? What are the implications of it? How does it affect you and I today? John tells us this in, in 1 John 2, uh, verses 3 to 5, where John says this, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the will of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. So here we, we learn, you see, that the reason that God wants us to learn and to know him from his word so th is that so that we can be confident of where we stand with him in our lives you know we, as knowing this with great confidence that god is on our side when we do his will and obey his commandments so the implication of this is this is it knowing god is that's the aim of this sermon is knowing god the the exercise we have been through so far concerning the figuring out the timeline, it's just not simply an exercise to try to figure out when JJ started becoming king. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the purpose of it, but that's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose of the exercise is to add another layer of the shield of faith to you, for you, that you can know that the Bible is true, and it says as what God says is true. So that you can be confident that when you carry your Bible and, and, and share with others, it is not a book of fairy tales or folklore. It is the truth of the Word of God, which can be reasoned and historically proven. So that your faith can rest on the fact that God is, uh, our God is alive today, and He is real. So today's exercise actually shows us that we can reason with God and find answers from Him. When you reason with God, you can find answers from Him. When, but when, and when God provides the answers, it empowers us, you know, it empowers our knowledge of Him. It helps us to know Him better. And hence also that it helps us to understand His expectations of us and how we ought to live accordingly. This is the underlying principle of the sermon today. The sermon is just not about puzzle, putting the puzzles together. It's about creating this confidence of faith in you. Okay, and that you know where you stand with God when you obey Him. There's another takeaway lesson I want to share with you that you can learn from this tedious process of figuring out when JJ started becoming king. There's another lesson we can learn. We have been looking at what? We have been looking at timelines, isn't it? Yeah? We are looking at the timing. When he became king. These are all timing. Timing issues. Time issues. When did he become king? When did AI become king? When did JI become king? When did JJ become king? You know, when did he die? All these are all about time. This reminds us of the importance of time. It should remind us of the importance of time. Well, in order to determine the accuracy of JI's, JJ's reign, 
We need to get our time right. So it's the same, brethren. If you want to get your life right, you need to get your time right in order to live before God. And also it, it reminds us of the fact that God has granted us time. What is time? Time is just not what is on the clock, on the watch. Time is actually opportunity. When God gives us time, He is giving us opportunity. Opportunity each day to live. Every second, every minute, every hour matters with Him. And this exercise shows us that we have to get our time right in order to put things together. The Apostle Paul talks about time in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17, where Paul said this. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So Paul tells us to redeem time. The word redeem means to buy back. Like in those days, a slave would be redeemed. You know, you pay a money to redeem a slave from slavery to set him free, to become a freed man all his days. So that's the, the essence of the word. So the essence of what Paul is telling us to redeem time means that we are to save time. We are to manage time. We are to utilize our time. But how do you utilize your time? Well, before God. Paul tells us that in verses 15 to 17 of Ephesians 5. Walk circumspectly as wise. Understand the will of God. This is how, you know, that to, to, to redeem time. The Christian who knows God and who knows how to live according to his, to his will by doing what God says is the one who knows how to manage and save his time. You see, this is how Paul is looking at it. At the end of the day, brethren, we need to reflect on and give an account of our time to God. You know, each day we, we have to give an account how you spend our time. And God wants us to know, you know, He wants to know that if we have saved our time for Him today and each day. So if we have not done so, if we have not done so, we would be like those many people who question the integrity of the Bible. And then they look at all these discrepancies like JJ's, all the different timelines, you know, and say that, well, the Bible is not true. God can't be believed. Christians who do not spend time will become like that one day. You know, Christians who do not save time for God each day will eventually turn themselves into skeptics instead of being sensible Christians. They will then drift from their faith away from the living God. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 10.39 say that, But we are not those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Christians, as children of God, we are to use our time wisely. We are to use our time to make spiritual progress each day. To the saving of our souls. We are not to waste time so that we will draw back to perdition. So since God has given us time, that it is our duty to ensure that time is properly used and managed, isn't it? Remember the writer that Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 and 2 says this. He said, the wise man said that to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. You know, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. So the writer tells us here that yes, everything there is a season. In other words, a time for every purpose. So it, what it means is that we have a duty to allocate our time appropriately. When it's time to rest, we must rest. When it's time to do our daily chores and labor, then we must do them with the best of our ability. But when it is time for God, we must use it for Him. So many a times that we, we are so busy with life that we do not allocate enough time for God, isn't it? Our prayers become like discount stores. You know, like those pound land discount stores. Cut short. Reduced in value. Sometimes even to the point of giving away for free. Where not a word of prayer or not a word of thought about God is being, uh, you know, being added to our lives throughout the day. Bible studies become a matter of the lowest and of the lowest priority. Or even when they are done, they are done so flippantly, you know, and uh, without giving much meditation and thought to the, to the study itself. So brethren, this is not how we should spend our time. 
God wants us to use our time wisely, use it properly. This is, there is a time for everything, so it must be. Do not be miserly with our time when it's time to use it. And also do not be overly miserly with our time when it's time for the Lord. You know, like this morning's exercise, you know, our life is like JJ's timeline, if you think about this. You know, we must go about exerting an effort in finding out the real purpose and the meaning in life, isn't it? We need to do that. The life that God has given us, God wants us to go and figure it out using His Word as a guide. God wants us to find Him, find our lives, piece them together one piece at a time, one time at a time, figure out what each piece of the puzzle means in, in, the, in the grand scheme of God's uh, plan. Paul, uh, I'm going to end this very shortly. Paul, in writing in Philippians 3, uh, verses 12 down to 14, Paul said this. He said that, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul tells us how he has spent his latter half of his life as a Christian, as an as apostle. You know, Paul has spent his time trying to figure out what he was to attain in life in order to be perfect, perfect in the sense of being complete before God. So Paul learned, he said, that, that progression in life is essential. We need to progress. And to each of us, and part of this progression is to lay hold of Jesus Christ. You've got to hang on to Christ in order to progress in life. And the other part of it is to let go of the past. You see? And continue to strive forward towards the calling of heaven one day. So this is how we should be spending our time, which is to set time apart each day for God, doing what He bids us to do. Live for Jesus, and not waste time dwelling on past glories or failures, but spend our time living for Christ and His glory. Well, brethren, I think that it's time for me to end the sermon. And I thank you for your time. <laughs>